Hi everyone, I'm JJ Hornblass and welcome to The Roadmap from Auto Finance News. Uh, since 1996, the nation's leading automotive lending and leasing news source. Uh, this is our weekly wrap on what's happening in auto finance for the week of September 14, 2020. I want to first off thank uh, Auto Finance News advertisers, Alpha, DeFi, FIS, Pay Near Me, and Remitter for their continuing support. Thank you to them. I am joined by Joey Pizzolatto, Deputy Editor of Auto Finance News, and Amanda Harris, Associate Editor at Auto Finance News. Welcome to both of you. It is Friday, September 18. This week, there was a threat of a shutdown of the federal government. Schools continue to have problems opening or staying open or staying open. My son's uh, school, for example, went virtual again this week. Uh, the Federal Reserve signaled that rates would stay near 0% for at least three years. SoftBank, uh, the investment company, uh, continued to sell its assets at remarkable valuations considering the circumstances. There were peace deals between Israel and two Arab nations uh, that were signed this week. And for some reason, a TikTok transaction was still in the news. In auto finance land, uh, we got our first taste of uh, a real uh, coronavirus pandemic data uh, from the depths of the pandemic uh, and specifically as they relate to subprime automotive uh, lending volumes, uh, which hit an eight-year low. Uh, Joey, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the numbers uh, that are coming out of the subprime uh, sector and, um, and also uh, help us understand whether this is a case of borrowers not borrowing or lenders not lending. Sure. So, yes, in the second quarter, we did see subprime uh, new vehicle loan volume uh, drop to eight-year lows, according to data from Experian. So, in the second quarter, uh, origination volume made up 8.01%, um, which is a 227 basis point decrease year over year. And uh, deep subprime loan also dropped um, to 0.37%. Um, that's not quite as low as we saw during the Great Recession, but it is approaching that. Um, I would think this is a case of lenders not lending. Um, insofar as the fact that, you know, we've been, we've been following the subprime space and even the prime space, we know that, um, you know, even subprime lenders have tightened their credit box. Um, we know that prime lenders have tightened their credit box. So I, you know, when you, when you look at that, that, um, it's usually the subprime that gets cut out. They're not cutting out prime. It was, it's very interesting to me how the decline on subprime loans versus deep subprime loans um, were really differed so greatly in Q2. Um, and I mean, we know that the overall lending volume declined during Q2, obviously, mm -hmm. right? So on a year over year basis, so obviously. 
but the 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 difference in in decline um, uh, really is is kind of you know 227 bips versus uh, around 40 bips. I mean, is this you know is to what degree might this have been some subprime borrowers who bled down uh, downstream to to you know uh, to deep subprime uh, you know just because of uh, economic conditions. I would think that the the discrepancy between the you know the change in subprime and deep subprime probably is accounted for by the sheer fact that volume for deep subprime is super low anyways. Mm -hmm. um, so you know I, I don't think there's a whole lot of lenders lending to three to five hundred FICOs um, in general, um, and the ones that are, I would imagine um, that that makes up quite a large portion of of their business. Um, so I can see, you know, maybe them tightening up a little bit, but still, you know, making some loans, um, you know, buy here, pay here, things like that. Um, whereas in subprime, I think you have a lot more players um, that are lending in that space. So, so when you have more people tightening their, their underwriting standards, then we're going to see a larger decline in the subprime space just by sheer fact that there are more people in it. Um, and if more, more lenders step away from that as a result of the pandemic, We'll see larger drops. Mm -hmm. what, what, were the, was there any good news on the sort of subprime, off prime in the off prime sector? I mean, is there any sign that there's improvements in originations volume at all? You know, um, I, I, I we'd spoken to Melinda for the industry pulse um, episode. Melinda Zabritsky at Experian, and you know, I asked her, you know, what what which of these trends are we seeing? That, that, you know, could stick around for the long haul and which, which are ones that, you know, might just be a product of our current environment. And, you know, she, and she pointed to um, lengthening loan terms, terms is something we're going to see. But, you know, I think eventually as, as we get into a better place economically, unemployment continues to kind of improve. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think we will see subprime auto volumes um, increase again back to, and maybe not, till their normal levels, but you know, what we're used, a little bit closer to what we're used to seeing as, as lenders get more comfortable, um, you know, opening up their credit box a little bit more. Yeah, I would, I would think that it'll depend on the credit worthiness of the, you know, American consumer uh, populace and whether, you know, just from a numbers standpoint, more people bleed below whatever it is, 700, 600, something like that. Um, I think that's going to be the arbiter for off-prime volumes, you know, vis-a-vis -vis total originations. I agree. And we're still seeing delinquencies being, you know, depressed um, as a result of, um, you know, uh, loan extensions and things like that. Um, so, again, we're still kind of, you know, in the wait and see, like, how bad things are. But I think, you know, over the last few weeks, we have seen, you know, there's a lot of signs that are that are pointing to this is not an anomaly and we're, you know, the, the industry is in recovery mode and recovering at a reasonable pace. I don't know if reasonable is the right word, but, you know, something faster than a snail's pace, let's say. The talk, talking about kind of, uh, you know, the effects or response uh, to the pandemic, um, there was a, an interesting article written, I believe by you, Joey, on Platinum Auto Finance. That was Amanda. That was Amanda, sorry. 
Sorry, Amanda. Okay. Um, um, on its disaster, on its pandemic response. So what was kind of unique about Platinum's um, uh, pandemic response, Amanda? Yeah, so Platinum is based in Clearwater, Florida. Uh, so obviously with being in Florida, you know, hurricanes are always kind of top of mind. We're in hurricane season right now, and it's actually a little more active of a season, 2020 surprise there. Um, so, but last year they uh, kind of upped their hurricane preparedness plans to where they knew if for some reason the office had to close, if, you know, they had to evacuate the area or if they lost power, that they knew they had to have some kind of method in place for putting all of their employees um, to be able to work remote, um, but basically just a Wi-Fi signal. They wanted to be able to complete, do all their servicing, do all their customer service type of, um, you know, methods, like all the things they would normally need to do to do their business and to process loans and all of that uh, with somewhere else with just a Wi-Fi signal. Uh, so they made this big plan uh, for basically have these packages for their employees with, you know, a laptop, headphones, and then all the technology in place to process documents digitally, to, you know, do all their servicing through online, to even take, you know, customer inquiries and stuff through web-based software versus hard phone calls. Um, so they did all that in preparation of hurricane season and they kind of launched that bigger plan last year. Well, come this year in April, you know, COVID came and they ended up having to close their office. And so they used that hurricane plan to actually address the COVID situation. So they were able to within, I think it was like three hours on that one day in April, they were able to uh, get about 20 employees fully situated working from home slash remote locations with those packages that they had made and the plan that they had rolled out last year with hurricanes in mind. So it was kind of like a blessing in disguise, I'll use their words, um, for being prepared for natural disasters. And then it kind of speaks to just being prepared in general for some of these things that you, you know, they never thought that would happen where they'd have to close their entire office and they were hoping to avoid it even with hurricanes. But when the pandemic hit, they were able to just kind of quickly address that because they already had those plans in place. So that was pretty interesting and kind of speaks to the need to be prepared to, to do your, the roles that they do and process loans um, more digitally. So that was, was there, what were the limits to the plan? I mean, where did, you know, it, it's every plan that you make, uh, you know, once it gets implemented, you realize that, uh, oh, I, I should have done this or I should have done that. Yeah. Uh, and so what were, what did they, what, where did the plan uh, not meet expectations or, or goals? Yeah, so some of the challenges they're still working through are, you know, one, trying to create like a company culture with all your people spaced out. That was one of the things that they were trying to look at um, you know, keeping and things like that. Um, and they are back in the office now, but trying to navigate, you know, having teams who would normally communicate to each other in the office is a little different when you're all spaced out. So that was one of the challenges. Um, another one was just working with customers who aren't maybe super technology savvy. Um, you know, they have customers who aren't from, you know, generations that are used to growing up with computers and, and mobile phones and things like that. So overnight they kind of had to, you know, transition and, and they had a little bit of a challenge working with those customers because they weren't as familiar with being able to just go online and use a chat function or 
or go online to do all the things that they would normally do or they would normally call in for. And there's a little bit of delay, obviously, with your getting your call-ins and stuff set up when you're moving everybody around. Um, so they did have to kind of work through that. And I think they used a lot of email and, and even traditional mail um, to kind of meet those customers' needs. Um, so that's just some of the things that they, they kind of know that need to be kind of tweaked a little bit uh, going forward. And that, I think the, really the, that was like the biggest rollout they've had to do so far with this plan. Um, so that was like the big major test of it. Somebody needs to kill the fax machine in auto finance. Just kill it. <laughs> End it. Joey? Do people still use it? I agree. I'll do it. I'll do it. People still use it. People still use it. If I told my children that this, that this was the case, they would look at me like I had three ears. Okay. Um, let's turn to a more uh, positive uh, story. Not that that's not positive, but uh, let's, let's turn to some, you know, future looking uh, story, which is uh, Pentagon Federal Credit Union um, choosing to establish a partnership with um, CRIF Select, uh, which is a fintech. Um, first, let's get some background on this partnership um, before we, we start talking about it a little bit. Yeah, um, so I can kind of fill in that. So CRF Select, uh, what they do is they offer kind of a, a, a turnkey solution to indirect auto lending. Uh, so basically they offer all the tools needed, uh, you know, support, management, um, and pretty much every. just gives them a chance to you know do that without bringing on additional staff or kind of having to move people around to to address that or get into new markets they are able to do that just by partnering with the company that's already doing it um, for them so that's the big thing so my question around this is i mean you know PenFed, uh they're a pretty big uh, credit union lender i believe right amanda yeah i believe so yeah so so I guess the que my question is, you know, why why would PenFed turn to kind of this turnkey solution rather than looking for uh, best in class individual solutions for particular aspects uh, of the of the lending process? Now, what's yeah. the what's the and then I guess the follow up question to that is like I mean would you expect that to you know other lenders to do that or is it a particular type of lender that would kind of pursue more of a turnkey we're going to just you know switch up the the entire suite of technology all all in one go? Yeah, so I think it's a twofold uh, kind of benefit and reason why they would do this. I think one is if I'm not mistaken, they're pretty big on direct. Uh, lending. So this gives them kind of a way to expand, um, you know, their, what they're doing in indirect. And it's, it's a quick and, and kind of easy, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, way of doing it because they are able to get all the support and tools they need without, you know, purchasing a bunch of software or hiring, you know, new people. It just gives them that through the partnership, they're able to do that and enter new markets quickly. I think they've already entered 10 new states 
with indirect auto lending with like oh, immediately upon this partnership. So that's one thing is it allows them to do this quickly and without too much hassle. Um, the other thing that they really saw benefit in partnering with CRF Select specifically was because they also offer um, uh, like digital and automated documentation. So that allows them to kind of break into that space and do more um, automated paperwork and, and digital paperwork with dealerships. Um, and again, that's without having to kind of bring on board a brand new system or new technology. Um, you know, that always can cost a little bit. They can take some time uh, to kind of break into that if you were already doing it or um, if you wanted to expand that kind of quickly. So that was another big benefit was that they already, CRF already does this and it's already established um, and so they're able to kind of do it for their partners and do all those services digitally um, in a little bit easier and quicker way. I think that's good to off that a little bit. Um, you know, CRIF has, has a huge dealer network. The number's escaping me, but that's, you know, instant access. Um, and also, like, again, what Amanda was saying, you know, everyone is a little bit more conscious of their, you know, spending. Um, and, you know, Time is also a valuable resource these days, um, I think, for everybody. Uh, so, you know, cutting down on the, on the integration time and also, you know, um, getting best in class and for every individual, I'm sure that that is a little bit more costly of, a, of an endeavor than, you know, um, going with a turnkey solution, um, as Amanda so aptly put it. Right. And I think your uh, other question was about, like, if more of these these kind of partnerships will, will come. And I, I think I think the answer will be yes, because we're seeing more and more that lenders are trying to break into that digital space. They're trying to expand their portfolio, especially coming out of the pandemic with some of those challenges. And they're starting to, I think, see the benefit of partnerships like this. So I think we'll, we'll start seeing more and more. We have already had multiple stories about, you know, similar partnerships with, with fintechs that kind of allow them to do more uh, automatically. So I think we'll see more and more coming. Fair enough. So what are we looking at uh, for coverage next week? Next week, um, we are looking at some, uh, some new fraud data on synthetic identity, again, um, looking at how it's been, a, um, I don't wanna give too much away as always, but we're looking at how it, um, you know, how, how synthetic identity fraud has kind of morphed um, in the face of the pandemic, and as well as, you know, um, some new numbers as to, you know, the volume as well. And then um, we also have a story on FAIR. We haven't uh, reported on FAIR in a while, um, but they are entering into uh, longer term leases. Um, so uh, I spoke with the CEO, so we'll have some insights there into the program, um, how it's structured, um, and their goals for the future. Right. That is a soft bank uh, investment that has not had an exit yet. It, it um, is. Uh, we've got uh, the Auto Finance Summit fast approaching uh, October 20 to 22. Uh, you can get details at autofinancesummit.com. We had more than 100 lenders uh, register so far this week alone. I don't know if you, were, you guys knew this, but uh, oh, more than 100 just this week. So we're really starting to pick up steam. And, and of course, uh, we'd love to see you there virtually. Um, and of course, I want to uh, encourage you to uh, visit autofinancenews.net and to subscribe there. Um, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn, please, and rate the roadmap. 
on your podcast platform of choice. Thank you so much for joining us on the roadmap. We'll see you online at autofinancenews.net and here next time. Thanks, everybody.